Hey there, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode one of the Patient Experience Podcast, where I get to sit down with my friend, Dr. Chris Clark, and we talk about all things patient experience. We sprinkle in a little bit of ultrasound, a couple of jokes along the way. We get to hear his origin story, and hopefully you'll find this to be a very educational and entertaining way of learning about patient experience. It's my first time using this platform. Some of the transitions might be a little bumpy along the way, but bear with me. I hope that you find the meat of the content to be worth your while. Enjoy, and I can't wait to hear what you think of it. Uh, Thanks so much, and uh, here we go. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, this is Justin Bright here, and welcome to the very first patient experience podcast here at Henry Ford ER. This is going to be, in my mind, an internal uh, podcast made for the ER by the ER. And I'm really excited to welcome our very first guest, um, my buddy Chris Clark, my office mate, my Michigan Wolverine buddy. And um, this has been a long time coming. I've actually been thinking about this for over a year now, and I finally was able to wrangle him down, get him away from his ultrasound machine, and get him to agree to talk to me. So, Chris, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm really happy to have you, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, first things first, I think it'd be cool if you gave your, your origin story, kind of anything you want uh, our, our colleagues to know about where you come from, uh, how you ended up at Henry Ford, what life outside of the ER is like for you, and just kind of share a little bit about yourself. Yeah, that's kind of a tricky question, right? It's like uh, every first question that you get in an interview season, which is going to be coming up at some point. And maybe a number of years ago, I had a really good answer to that. But uh, just in general, um, I'm from the suburbs of Detroit. Uh, Went away for college 20 minutes down the road, 20, 30 minutes down the road to University of Michigan. And then kind of spread out a little bit, went to Chicago for four years to University of Illinois at Chicago, and then came back home. Kind of looked around like the Midwest and Henry Ford, like really stood out to me, like personally. Um, Some like my my friends, uh, parents that like grew up, like I grew up in the Scout, like I was in the Scouts. Uh, I kind of turned to like a couple of their parents were physicians uh, and they said, Henry Ford's the place to be if you want to come back. So uh, kind of set my sights there. Uh, It was lucky enough to get a residency spot and kind of went on from there. I mean, it's, it's been awesome. Um, We, uh, my wife and I just had an anniversary yesterday. Well, congratulations. Like seven years together. Yeah, seven years together, 10 years before that. So a little high school sweetheart action, and we got to actually come back to our, like, red brown home. So that was so nice. Um, we have two kids now, three and one years old, uh, Ryan and Jack. And uh, I got to land the dream job, and I got to stay. Um, did ultrasound fellowship. Uh, after residency and it's, it's paid off in dividends for sure. And um, again, like I said, it's a dream job. Uh, I love teaching the residents. I love our patient population and working downtown and uh, I love the people I work with. Uh, I really wanted you to be my first interview is besides being, you know, ultrasound Jesus. I, I love the way that you connect with the residents and 
and patience and with the rest of the team and just always seem to have a really good attitude. And whenever I thought about this podcast, I was like, man, Chris should be the first guy I talk to. <laughs> and so actually, I'm going to embarrass you for a second, if that's OK. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but in March of 2019, I was midnight power. Uh, and I signed out to you in the morning, a couple patients, and then you sent me an email uh, later in the day on some follow-up, and the email made me really proud to know you, and uh, I want to read it back to you just to kind of see what you think. So it starts off with, just thought I'd share a couple stories on the patients that we shared together. Uh, I went and saw all the patients, updated everyone, got the dad of the guy with cognitive impairment sleeping in a chair, some coffee from the break room, and then met the young guy in 231 who had been transferred in for seizures and a glioblastoma. I talked to him and his family for a while, did an exam so I knew what was going on and told them the plan and updated them periodically as the consultants got back to us. Their family was super nice, rapport was easy, and I was joking about, uh, you know, just joking around with them each time I saw him. Uh, I remember in the history that you'd given me that he had been drinking a lot of caffeine and playing a lot of video games uh, prior to his seizures. I, I asked him what video games, and he said Diablo 3. I've spent a lot of my life playing this game, hundreds of hours probably, and the ones before it. We talked about it for like 15 minutes, and it was just a nice break for him from not being a patient to being just some dude talking about Diablo. Halfway through, I was joking with about how the video games are really good for procedures and hand-eye coordination, uh, and his parents thought I was crazy, but I think they enjoyed the whole thing too. It would have been nice and easy just to poke my head in once, do the neuro neurosurgery rex, and admit him, but I like to think I made his long stay in the ER not as shitty. Not to toot my own horn, but it just made me feel good, and my entire day was better for it. Uh, then it says I'd prefer not to share it around, but, I, you know, that card already left the barn. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it just I remember getting that email, and it made me so happy to know you and so happy to know that other people um, like that connection the way I do. And mm -hmm. that email alone is really what inspired me to want to talk to you first. So do you remember that email? Do you remember those patients at all? I do. And it's really funny that we, I mean, we think about patients and we, we have all our memories of like patient in this room. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like you'll have like Lewandowski be like, what's the patient's name? Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, it's really hard to remember hundreds of thousands of names or whatever, but like those rooms and those interactions stick. And I remember this, like, like it's yesterday when you're reading that, it's like, I remember sitting in the room or like being in the room with this family. And I mean, I still like nerd alert, but I still play Diablo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, it was nice. It was, I mean, like we do this to, I mean, anytime you have an opportunity to like connect with somebody and like really take a little extra time when it feels like you have no time, mm -hmm. uh, it, it really makes, it makes a difference. And, you know, um, it's, it's so random. Like, it's not something that you can plan necessarily be like, Oh, I'm going to go in here and like, like plan to talk to him about his interests. And then, and then just, it's, it's something that has to come natural, like rant, like it's not even natural. It's like you, you start a discussion and if you don't ever start the discussion, you never know where it's going to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? See Absolutely. what I'm trying to say? It's just like, and it was so random. Like the guy's like, Oh, I play video games. They're like, Oh yeah. What video games? And then it just kind of went that way. And it was like, it was pretty, pretty fun. His parents did think I was kind of crazy. And they're like, Oh my God, my, 
my doctor's 10. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's one way of looking at it. But but I, what I I like most about that is like you just asked a question. It didn't have to be this elaborate thing. You asked one question that wasn't part of our H&P algorithm and got to know something about him as a person. And from that, luckily, it was Diablo, but it didn't have to be Diablo. I, I sure. think that with your demeanor and the way that you connect with patients that he could have said anything and, and you would have seized that moment as a way of connecting with him as a human being and not just, you know, 20 year old kid with a glioblastoma. Um, sure. And so that's the part that really stood out to me is you asked something outside of the, the norm. You took that, that second, it's really all it took. And it allowed you to connect with a patient in a way that you wouldn't have if you didn't make the effort otherwise. And, and so that's really what made me so happy when I, when I read your email is that it was obvious that you would, connected with them on a human level. Um, and For it, just, sure. it was really refreshing to see that. So, and honestly too, like a lot of it is like allowing yourself. I mean, like in the emergency department, we are like, go, 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 go constantly mm-hmm. in it. And whenever you're with a patient who's talking and, and giving their history and it's taking a little bit longer than usual, oftentimes we get frustrated and sometimes uh, for things like that, it's like recognizing when it's important to like, I, I guess it's important to me as a provider to be able to connect in some way. Mm-hmm. If I'm, if I'm able to, sometimes it's not possible, but when you're given that nice opportunity, uh, it really, it really does make your day a lot better. Absolutely. Opinion, I don't know. And so like, you're right. Not every single patient you're not going to be able to connect with every single patient every time, either because of their demeanor, the clinical situation doesn't call for it, whatever. But I would say an overwhelming majority, you certainly can. And, and I guess that leads to the next question, which is knowing you and your practice style, what are some of the ways you find are easiest or best to connect with patients? Like how do you establish rapport with your patients? I mean, I kind of take a page out of Dr. Martin's book sometimes in the sense of I, like, I like to use humor or mm-hmm. jokes. Um, uh, the other thing too, is like actually sitting down, like if I have a a second, like we always talk about the things that make patient experience better and people uh, feel like you're sitting there listening to them longer, like having a conversation. I try to sit down when possible. Um, and honestly, we were going to talk about it a little bit later. I, I, I bet, but, uh, using the ultrasound, um, Honestly, that's where a lot of my like casual talk comes in. When I'm seeing patients primarily um, at the end of my physical exam, I start doing an ultrasound and I've done enough of them now. If I'm not teaching somebody else, like I'll have a conversation with the patient about anything Mm -hmm. while I'm looking at something. So um, personally, these days, that's really the, the biggest way that I find to like kind of start that conversation. Do you usually have a go-to question that you, that you open with for, you know, some people are not always as, as easy to talk to as others. And frankly, not all residents and physicians and PAs, whatever are as comfortable, you know, starting a conversation as others. Do you have any kind of go-to openers that you have found worked for you over time? Usually, usually it's kind of like a spin off the history and physical too. So it's like, like how far can you walk? Can you walk to the grocery department Yeah. or like grocery store down the street? Like, what do you do at home? Like, what do you do on your free time? Like, uh, like Dr. Lechner one time, like we were talking about somebody with chest pain 
and I asked like all the standard Siggy Caps questions for chest pain, and he he came out and he said he can go home, and I was like okay, <laughs> and uh, he's like he walks up the stairs or like he or she walk I think it was a woman. He's like, she walks up the stairs like 10 times a day with full loads of laundry to like care for her whole family. And she never gets chest pain. She's, it's like that kind of stuck out. It's like asking, it's almost the attending H&P now, right? Yeah. Like you get the, uh, the initial H&P and then you get to go in and ask whatever questions you want. That's true. And I wish I started doing it earlier. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's true. But I also think about like when I'm on power shifts and I'm seeing patients on my own, like. I, I can still ask those questions. It's just, it's a conscious decision to, to, to do so. And what I have found over time is actually those are the higher yield questions that help me get to the crux of why they're there and what needs to be done. It doesn't always have to do with the Siggy cap type questions for chest pain. It has to do with, you know, uh, what concerns you most about today? What do you think needs to happen today? You know, what were you what's life like for you when you're not here? Where do you live? What's work like for you? All those kind of things point towards them as a person and how this is affecting them as a whole. And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right that we get to cheat because we already know the whole story as attendings when we've gone in and the residents and students have already gotten all the, the, the history for us. But I think it's also shortchanging us because you absolutely could do those same things on your own as, you know, as the power doc or whatever, um, if you so choose and the residents can do it if they so choose when they're picking up charts. So, um, but I think that the important thing is to be willing to ask a question that's outside of the typical H and P because that's just very algorithmic and, and task driven, you know, with an agenda of a differential or workup and a dispo. Um, and I love dispos as much as anybody, but I also love knowing what my patient's about. So, yeah. And you'll find you're right. You're, you're completely right. You'll like find things with, like random questions really start sometimes pointing the history and why they're actually there. Like you mentioned that, like how often is like the patient being like, do I have cancer? And it's like, you know what? Like you have like a stomach virus, like to us, like this is so far removed from what their concern is that we don't typically address it. Um, And then they leave being like, well, do I have cancer? It's like, no, (laughs) you like, like you ate like some bad chicken <laughs> like right. you're fine uh yeah uh that, that's that's you you really don't know what people are thinking and it's and it's like really important not to assume what they're thinking too so yep and i think it's very yeah. easy for us to assume because we've done it so many times repetitively that it just becomes commonplace for us whereas it's it's hard to remember it's their first experience with us um, and their, their first time with whatever symptom it is, you know, in theory, if it's our frequent flyers, it's different, but for most patients, sure. like it's their first time being in an ER, it's their first time with chest pain or numbness or whatever it is. And, and we've seen it 11 billion times and we can tell pretty quickly whether, when it's a big deal and when it's not, and, and they don't know. And oftentimes they're there because somebody else told them that they should be worried about it or they Googled something or whatever. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, unless you ask the question, you're never going to know. So I think that was, you know, all good points out of you. Well said. Sorry. So you alluded to some things that I actually had wanted to talk about a little later on, but um, one of the things that I'm just trying to really get a hold of is just how much COVID and, and the pandemic has changed the patient experience. And, and by, what I mean by that is like 
what the patients feel like when they're here with us in the ER, but also like what the PPE and everything else has done in terms of changing how we actually connect with our patients. And, and yeah. I'm wondering, you know, what, what you've noticed in terms of what pandemic life has done for, for your ability to connect with the patients and what, what you've noticed patients must be feeling and experiencing while they're in the ED with us. I think first off, the biggest thing that I've noticed is everybody is terrified. Like every patient is scared to be there. And like I've had patients, like I had one guy the other day who probably had COVID pneumonia, but his test was negative. And he's like, my test is negative. I don't have it. I'm not staying. And I was like trying to explain to him like what a, like a false positive or a false negative is. And he's like, my test is negative. I'm leaving. So, I mean, like I'm sitting there like he can't see my facial expressions. Right. Um, like the resident was in the room with him for 15 minutes. I was in the room with him 20 minutes, including like scrolling through his CAT scan and like pointing out, like teaching him to try and convince him. Cause like, I don't want him to die or get mm -hmm. worse. And it was, I feel like fear was really the driving force that left, had him leave against medical advice. Um, so that's one of the bigger things. And two, um, having no family present is yeah. both good and bad. I mean, like when there's more people, it's more chaotic, but you also have limited histories. You have, you don't know what kind of support people have. Uh, uh, again, I think that's also the fear of dropping your loved one at the hospital, never to see them again. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's real. Um, but I think it's also like cause some like good things to happen. Like we, uh, I think we're better about calling families and discussing things right now. Yeah. And uh, I think telemedicine is a really nice alternative. That's like kind of being vamped right now mm -hmm. uh, for, out of necessity. Um, so it's giving us some benefit from the emergency department standpoint, but uh, it's, it's uh it's pretty awful for patients i mean you walk in like nobody can come all the there's like people walking around in biohazard stuff i mean like what do you think like you know what i mean like yeah i can't imagine what they think like i'm here because my toe hurts or right. like i'm here because i rolled my ankle and i don't know if i have a broken leg it's like you know i probably need an x-ray but like like you could get covid <laughs> you know i don't know it's yeah I was really taken aback like first week of pandemic. I was in cat one. I remember walking into 117 for a woman. It was an asthma exacerbation, but I was like, at that point we were, we were kind of ramping up the PPE that we were wearing. And, and she took offense to the fact that I walked into the room with all that PPE and yelled at me and said, I don't have germs. You don't have to be you know afraid to touch me. And it, it took, I was obviously taken aback by it, but I, I could see, you know, how and why she felt that way and so now like i i acknowledge it like when i go in the room i'm like man it must be scary to see these people and all this hazmat stuff coming to talk to you but i want you to know it's it's for your protection as well as the protection of the team and obviously things have changed to the point where most of our community understands that um but nonetheless yeah. it's it's pretty scary to see us coming in with with hazmat suits when when they one they're not wearing them and two um, you know, it, it, I think it really illuminates just kind of the risk involved in being with us. 
Um, I've also noticed that a lot of my own jokes and sarcasm really rely on facial expressions. Um, and, <laughs> and some of the things that used to work don't work anymore under those N95s. So I've had to become very careful about that. Um, and yeah, the lack of family, you're absolutely right there. Like just having a family member who can advocate for their, for their loved one. You know, sometimes we look at it as an, as a nuisance, no doubt about it, but I mean, there's tons of valuable information in somebody who's clearly knows the patient a lot better than we do. And, and not having that at our, at our disposal has been really challenging, I think, in terms of, you know, trying to get history and understand how a patient ended up in our ER and what needs to be done. And so, you know, you really do have to take that extra step and in initiative of calling families and stuff. But uh, I found that to be a really challenging part. For sure. Um, you, you brought up an interesting point with that guy who, who, who wanted to leave, um, you know, regard, no matter what you told him. And, and, and so one of the other questions that I, I wanted to ask you was, what are some of your, you know, things that you have found works in terms of dealing with patients who are difficult or unhappy? I'm not talking about combative or violent. I mean, that's, that's a whole other discussion, but just the unhappy mm -hmm. patient that you clearly need to spend some time with to, to deescalate in some way. What do you, what do you find helpful in that situation for you? I think it all, I mean, like not to sound lame, but it's like all stems back from having two brothers. And uh, I mean, we used to fight and beat the crap out of each other and people would be pissed at each other for days in it. And I always found that if I acknowledge somebody else's emotion, uh, it made it go faster. Like, we resolved our problem a little bit faster. So my kind of go-to move in those situations is I kind of walk in the room, I introduce myself and we start like a mild conversation or whatever. And then you can tell when someone's pissed, right? Mm -hmm. Like be like, well, you look really mad right now. And you say something like that. And yeah. they say like, you damn right. I'm mad. I've been waiting here for X, Y, and Z for four hours and I've got no updates. And then I usually just fall on my sword in the sense of you're mad and that's completely understandable. And you have every right to be, because if I was in your position, I'd be pissed as hell too. And um, sometimes I swear by accident just because whatever. And uh, they usually, it either goes one way. They're going to be mad regardless of what you say. Or they're going to like kind of give you a little bit and um, be like, if they give you a little bit and either way, it's like, how can I help make this better for you right now? It's like, I can't go back and change time. Um, but what I can do is I can call and, and try and see how long it's going to be till I get to bed. And honestly, I, I prob it's probably going to make no difference, but I can try and see. Um, just just come up with a plan before I walk out of the room to address their concerns. Uh, so it's acknowledging their concerns and then coming up with a plan and then following up on that plan. Um, so that's my approach to it. And I usually, I mean, we've all kind of like been exposed to like, Hey, uh, you're like in sign out and someone's like, Hey, the guy in like two, two eighteen is really mad or like, right. and usually I just like take that as like a, seated or like a like a little cue to be like ah, i need to get up and go over there so like really not pushing it back <laughs> yeah and you know what chris you actually say some really awesome stuff that that i swear i didn't plant this stuff ahead of time 
Um, what you actually brought up were a lot of the best points by a doctor named Dyke Drummond, who goes by a, a handle called The Happy MD. Obviously, it's a podcast, so I can't post links. But um, mm-hmm. if you go to thehappymd.com, and that's for the listeners, not necessarily you, Chris, uh, but for the listeners, and, and or uh, Google the Universal Upset uh, Patient Protocol, that's what he names the emotion first. And a lot of docs, I think, are afraid to name the emotion because they're afraid that they're going to um, name the wrong emotion. Like you said, hey, you look like you're really upset. Well, what if they're not upset? What if they're frustrated? Or what if they're whatever they are? Just the willingness to name an emotion, any emotion, is going to allow them to either agree or tell you what they're really feeling. And either way, it's going to give you a ton of valuable information. Um, moreover, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're willing to basically put in the effort up front, which is going to save you a ton of effort on the back end if you don't address it, right? It's like a bomb waiting to go off. And, um, and it sounds like you listen. I think a lot of times when patients get upset, it's really easy to become defensive and escalate, right? Like you're trying to de-escalate, but if they're going to start talking smack about Henry Ford or the wait times or this, that, and the other, it's very easy to get defensive and, and want to fight back. But in the end, what you got to do, you said fall on the sword. And it's really, it's that. You got to just keep your mouth shut and let them run their course and get their emotion out and be heard. And then once once that's happened, um, you're able to, to, to actually get to the crux of what you need to do to rectify the situation. So you hit a lot of the points, I think, without necessarily knowing it, unless you're a, a student no. of, <laughs> of, of the happy MD. Um, but, uh, you know, well done. I, it made me really happy to hear those things. Sweet. Yeah. yeah it's, sometimes you're not gonna, yeah, thank you. <laughs> sometimes you're not going to win. I mean, no. And I've, I've walked away from people screaming at me. Um, Sometimes it's also like, I don't like you get to a point where it escalates beyond a certain amount. And then you just have to be like, well, I'm going to come back when we can have a, like a calm conversation, mm-hmm. which usually makes it way worse. <laughs> <laughs> and then I usually just walk away. I mean, I give them like, I sit and listen and like kind of talk about the things we talked about, but at some point, like there's a point of no return and you just got to, walk away (laughs) no doubt about it and and even dr drummond says like his protocol works 80 percent of the time like you know the human condition is just so complex and people come with so much backstory and baggage and preconceived notions and then you put in interpersonal communication which is so complex in a stressful environment and it's not always going to go well and it's okay if it doesn't always go well what i think is important though is that you at least try uh, and, and then sometimes we're not willing to do that out of the fear of the confrontation or, or, or conflict. So you at least have to be willing to try. And more often than not, it ends up going quite well. So, but yeah. what I'm most, most impressed is that you basically word for word um, hit most of his universal protocol. So good job. Nice. Man. Nice. Thanks. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, Krupp and I kick around is, you know, how can we get team members to, and team members meaning mainly the attending physicians, but really all of us, how can we get team members to position other team members to look good or put them in in positions to succeed in front of our patients? And by that, I mean like talking up team members and things like that. So I'm wondering, you know, is that something you do? Is it something you don't do all that often? When you do, what do you find works? 
um, all those kind of related questions. Yeah. I mean, I, I heard this at some point from somebody, I mean, it was, it could have been you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like name drop the nurses in front of patients. Um, it's like, Oh, you have will today. Like will's excellent. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, like, I feel like it's good camaraderie. Um, and I mean, like, I really do feel that our nurses are excellent. So it's not like really that hard to do. Uh, but I think the patients like it, especially it's like, oh, these guys actually like each other and work together well. It's like, oh, okay. So I do that. I'd, and again, like, I don't know what their perceptions of these things are because I do it. And then <laughs> like, I don't get, I don't give them like a feedback card. You know? And I find that, you know, cause you imagine how many people come into the room to see that patient, right? Like I find that just setting even the residents up for success by saying, look, I'm the supervising doctor, which let's be real. That's who they came to see. But even that, even so like, Hey, I'm the supervising doctor. I want you to know that I agree with everything that Dr. X is doing. I know everything that's going on. I'll be watching, but I'm going to let them run the show and they're going to do a fantastic job. And, and, and that gives them a huge amount of, I think, relief and and comfort in knowing that even though they're being seen by a, a learner there is somebody else running the show that ultimately knows what's going on and, and is invested in their care and so i find that when i go around on my patients you know after staffing them that that's really helpful and same thing regarding the nurses like i love telling the patients hey uh you know will is awesome or you know danielle is awesome or whoever's taking care of you is fantastic they're going to take wonderful care of you um, and it probably doesn't do a ton, but it certainly beats the, the opposite, right? Or man, I can't believe you got, you know, nurse X today. Watch <laughs> out. She loves stabbing you in your forearm, right? Like that's not going to go well. So, and I know just from a camaraderie standpoint that the nursing staff really, really appreciate when we do it. So it's just something that I think about and it, it much like a lot of the other things in terms of what we've been talking about tonight, it just takes the, the conscious effort to want to do it. And it really takes very little time to do so. Yeah. So I was just curious what kind of stuff you do. Um, well, we're getting towards the end here, Chris, is there anything that you think uh, in, in the realm of patient experience or even just, you know, team experience that we, you and I didn't discuss that you'd love to just get off your chest? Um, I mean, obviously I need to make a plug for some point of care ultrasound. Do uh, it. Plug it. So there is, so we, we talk about all this data about like, you know, like if you sit down next to your patient, uh, if you let them talk uninterrupted for X amount of time, um, the perception of time is, is longer than you actually were. And there's some like data, like pretty good data to kind of like solidify that. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that when I go back with ultrasound, I, I think a couple things happen that I've noticed through the years. And, and the biggest thing is, I am able to explain diagnoses and findings in real time to the patient. Typically when they go get a formal ultrasound or a CAT scan, we're horrible about like updating them about the results and they just sit there. Um, One of the nice things about point of care ultrasound, especially if you're like understand what you're using it for to answer a question. um, Oftentimes they'll be like, Hey, um, I'm looking at your ultrasound and I'm concerned that your heart's not beating correctly. We're going to, because of this, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. 
and you're going to stay in the hospital. And that gives me an opportunity because oftentimes I know some of the labs first, um, gives me an opportunity to kind of set some expectations for the patient as well as give some like one-on-one -on -one feedback as well as the perception that I'm sitting, like I'm in the room with them for, I don't know, five, 15, five to 15 minutes, like going through their scans and, and, and like taking that little extra time where a lot of, uh, I mean, this is more of a growing field and working it into our care. I don't, I don't know if they'd had this before. Um, so I think it's like a really nice tool to, to kind of bridge that gap with the patient as well. Um, so um, don't be afraid to talk to your patients when you're ultrasounding them, if you feel comfortable with what you're looking at. And also be mindful of your poker face when ultrasounding, because sometimes you'll find things like a liver full of metastasis and you shouldn't say things like, oh my God, that looks abnormal. Um, <laughs> Right. Or, or yeah, things out loud. Um, it's a new set of problems um, that honestly, they teach all the ultrasound texts and stuff like that. They just say your doctor will give you a report. They can't actually report anything um, to the patient in real time. So, so that's my plug for ultrasound. I mean, there's a lot of better, there's a lot of other benefits too, but I feel like it helps me connect with my patients for sure. And it gives me an opportunity to explain some things while I'm doing other things because um, we all do a million things at once in our head and physically as well. So I, I want to thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk with me. Um, I have no idea what this finished product is going to actually sound like because um, I don't really know how to work this app yet, but I'm pretty excited about the possibilities. And uh, more importantly, I loved what you had to say. Um, everything that, that you brought up were, were things that were true to, to my own practice pattern. And um, I think the, the conversation itself went exactly the way I, I dreamt it up. So I really appreciate your time. Uh, and so everybody else, I hope you enjoyed listening. If you have any feedback, please, please, please let me know. This is the maiden voyage. And I hope that it will continue to evolve and get better as time moves on. But more importantly, uh, I hope you found this to be valuable uh, and an interesting way of you know, sharing best practices, practices amongst colleagues, particularly in the realm of patient experience. So uh, thank you for listening. Pass it along to anybody that you want and uh, stay tuned because there's more coming your way. Thanks a lot, guys.